Hello. So we have so many laptops. Good morning. Do people, do you, have you guys eaten? Yes? No? I'm a video game developer, so I like things fun. And essentially what we're doing is uh, breaking the fourth dimension. And we want to break that stereotype that games could actually change the world. So we're Rhythm Learning Lab. And under Rhythm Learning Lab, we have two, two game studios. One is Juma Jam, which is uh, we make apps and music and stuff for early childhood learning. And then another that's upcoming is called Imayon Game Studios, which is a selfish game studio title because that's a local word for how I was actually born. So we're very Filipino-rooted. If you look at Juma Jam, we actually encourage multilingual um, songs, multilingual learning from English to Filipino to Bahasa. So we mostly cater to Global South, but yeah, and we want to shift towards learning for adults or people who basically play games like me and, you know, make games for the things that matter. So, essentially, Rhythm Learning Labs solves one problem, and we want games as a medium for learning. Uh, just so that people are, uh, know, know about the numbers, uh, there's 97% personal computers in the U.S., uh, there's 81% smartphones, and there's 2.2 billion players across all platforms. And this was just in June 2017. So this is derived from the uh, Entertainment Association of the U.S. So this is just in the U.S. It's not even global. But they're the most accurate uh, statistics that you could get for video games. And then, this is something surprising because of the culture around the gaming community of fake gamer girls. I don't know if you folks have encountered it, but the reality is 54% are actually female gamers, and it's only 40%, 46% male gamers. So, huh? Yes, this one's worldwide. And the forecast is our population would be 2.7 billion worldwide by 2021. Uh, the video game industry would have 205 billion projected revenue, and there would actually be 1 billion gamers across all platforms. So it's, it's something that people should look into because uh, what, what I've encountered so far is that people think that games are just for fun, when essentially it's an emerging platform that we have to utilize, you know, for social change. And so, Imayan Game Studios is initially created so that we could create game for the biggest distribution platform in PC, which is Steam. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. So, in 2018, there's actually 18.5 million concurrent users. So, this means users that, you know, log in every day. That includes me. And there's actually $4.3 billion revenue on Steam alone. So, this is across all games. And this was in 2017. And actually, in 2016, um, there's a $30.4 billion spent 
across all platforms, so not just team. So this is a really big industry that people should lo look into. And numbers are super boring. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I like this, you know, uh, when, when I were first starting in the video game industry, I got to read this book called Reality is Broken by Jane McGonigal, and she said that video games is an opportunity to focus our energy with relentless optimism at something we're good at or getting better at and enjoy. In other words, gameplay is the direct emotional opposite of depression. And I mean, if you already have something that you could learn with and then have fun, why would people not utilize that platform? So I've done like, because um, generally there's this thing called g serious games. They're essentially flat out, you know, translation of, uh, let's say, volcanic simulation and stuff like that. But they, I, I fear that some of them don't take into consider, consideration flow, which is a psychology that um, game designers have to achieve. And, um, you know, some of them just aren't fun. I'm sorry. But uh, these are actually commercial games that have incidental in, intention for social impact. So one of them is called Democracy. Have you guys played Democracy? Yes? No? Yes? So I'm happy that some people have played it. So it's made by Cliff Harris. He's based in the UK. And he's the one-man studio behind Positic Games, which is also a game publisher. And actually, Democracy is so interesting because it's a government simulation game that was first, yeah, it was first developed in 1997, and the sequel was released in December 2017, so that's Democracy 2, and then Democracy 3 came out in 2013. So this is super amazing, and I will just play a video. Oh no, where is it? Sorry. Commercial. Hi. Here? So, yeah, <laughs> policies do not. So this is actually uh, a quick time lapse of uh, how to, re to raise the GDP of Canada. And <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> So the beauty of democracy is that no matter what your political view is, you could actually test it if it's going to work out, you know, or, you know, theoretically in this complex government system that Cliff Harris designed, you could actually check everything, you know, from like commuter policy to, you know, stuff you believe in, like humanitarian, refugees, you know, it does like budget policies, how long do you want to implement it, uh, costs, does the government have income? And this is something that especially for Republica, I think people should play and get into because it is a reflection of stuff that you could do with policies and government. And I think that you know, if you have somebody who doesn't literally know anything about policy like me, then you give them a game of democracy and you know they could learn it at their own pace. They could, they could um, 
uh, start exploring on their own. And something that I deeply believe in is that if you work on something with your own time and your own interests, which is what's amazing with gamers, then you actually will understand and remember it more. So, yay. Am I boring you? <laughs> this is like comedy. I don't know how to Mac. <laughs> so, 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 sorry. <laughs> so, oh my god, I, I was super excited with this game. I mean, I know it's like a super bad game because it's about refugees and conflict. And, you know, it, it's, I've never finished this game. No matter how hard I try, I have like three achievements on Steam. It's so it was made by 11-bit studio. And you know how when you first listen to video games, you think about first-person shooters, people killing each other, violence and stuff like that. Well, when this war, war of mine came out, I'm shaking. I'm super excited about this. Uh, they actually designed a game that puts you into the perspective of the refugees. So what happens is that when I first played this game, there were no instructions. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to survive in, you know, in a conflict area. And that's something that people around the world are experiencing. And um, it's actually based in the Bosnian siege in 1992-1993. Is my history correct? You can, I might be wrong, but try to believe me. And... Um, <laughs> And, yeah, this game is so hard because you have to figure out, like, the sewage system. You have to raid. You have to learn combat to defend yourself and sometimes, you know, kill other people in the process because when players in a, in a conflict area, sometimes all you got to do is survive. And, and you know, um, I've heard so many people who've played this war of mine. And uh, we actually have a war situation in, I think the war is done now, no, in Marawi, in, back in the Philippines. And what this looks like is actually what Marawi now looks like. So it's all like half open buildings, but this was made for the intention of the game. But um, just, it's, it's, you know, it's heartbreaking that that something like this is actually happening. And this is something that, you know, for people who are privileged and don't understand how it is to survive in conflict, you get them to play this game and make decisions, and they're not going to survive past day 10, promise. Like, you should buy the game. It's good. So, no, what did you do? <laughs> okay, I can play the video. But this one's for noobs. So, what's up, everybody? It's damp. Uh, for those of you who don't know, don't don't let's not listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm wasting time. So, so this is uh, how it actually is in game. And you know, you, you're assigned this character who looks super handsome, Marco, the skilled scavenger. And then basically you have so many things that you could do. Like um, 
this one, the door's broken, so you either like find the key, and then this one, you could also break through the door, you could sleep there, you could touch those things and scavenge, and um, goddamn, this game's hard. So, you know, there's, there's heat factor, there's weather, and I mean, if you are in conflict, do you, do you, do you like think of the things that you do throughout the day and realize, you know, how many things you need just to survive? So this is a game that is capable of making people understand that, especially to people who have never seen conflict. So, the other one. No, 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 no. Sorry. Okay. Oh, I'm super excited with this. So, the, so you guys have a fantastic train system. <laughs> Please appreciate that. Because from where I'm from, we don't have, uh, we have like three and they break down like twice a day. And sometimes you like walk. Kind of sardines every day. Yeah. So it's like, it breaks down twice a day and we have like seven trains in the busiest line ever. So when this game came out, it's by two brothers, the Curry brothers from New Zealand, and it's Mini Metro. This was actually a game jam game, and game jams are games that you make within 24 or 48 hours, depending on you know how much of a masochist you are. But um, it's a minimalist subway layout game, and it's actually based on real city. And what's so amusing about this is that so wait. Um, so circles are actually residential areas, and then triangles are, I'll read my codico, and so triangles are actually retail areas, and squares are business districts, and it's so simple that because uh, when you play the game, okay, when you play the game, some of the points actually evolve, So time lapse. Into a bad time. This is so nice. So, of course, the world is not like this. You cannot just keep building train systems and, you know, pulling them to one side of the, of the island. This is London. But um, the beauty of this is that uh, so the Curry brothers were actually approached by transit planners. And this is the closest to what, so they had zero knowledge. Like they just wanted to, they made the game Mind the Gap and then they want, because they weren't artists, they wanted something that was super minimalist and it's actually amazing user interface and user experience. But they, th this has also has amazing audio just so you know. But no, 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 it, this one doesn't have audio because I made sure. So, and and the, the beauty of it, the beauty of it is that, um, so I think this is a perfect example of how to make like real world problems into games because it's absurd, first of all, the way you could just decide to 
pull a line into a new spot. And then the second one is that every week you get to choose if you want a new carriage, a new line, or like um, a new tunnel. And so the, the, the funny thing about this is that eventually people ended up designing with unconsciously a railways railway well subway systems that are similar to real world systems so for example the paris grid the paris uh level actually ends up looking like the paris grid system which is amazing so you know less residential i don't want to be a nerd about trains so so <laughs> papers please sold a lot of copies and it was made by one guy Lucas Pope so he used to work with Naughty Dog and then so this is actually a video game that is darkly ominous and a fascinating exploration of morality versus progress and the thing with Papers Please is that so they have this fictional place that sort of feels like Russia or a communist place and then it has 31 endings in story mode. So either all your family members die, you escape Astroska, and then um, uh, you actually become like a model citizen and, you know, level up your house. So you become this like, um, so you have this in story mode. And essentially the story mode is just a tutorial for the endless mode. Because the endless mode changes, and it has this, you know, fictional instances where people could uh, uh, get a view of what actually happens under communist regime, and yeah, so it's amazing. It's made by one guy. He made it in nine months, and it's a dystopian nature. So a lot of this was actually the introduction to communism to a lot of my interns and so this is the police so this isn't as popular as a game but it's a strategy adventure game set in a city spiraling the drain and taking the role of Jack Boyd so with, with this, it's super interesting because you have to earn 500,000 US dollars in 180 days. So that is the mission of the game. And to do that, of course, you know, if, if you live like somewhere in the Philippines, of course you're going to go the corrupt route and bribe everybody and stuff, you know, get bribes from everybody. But uh, it deals with managing officers and all that stuff that policemen actually go through in a daily life. So, and the beauty of this game is that it makes you question your morality because will you take the bribe? Like, yeah. Although Kendrick was acquitted, many, acquitted, many still believe that the police are cooperating with the mafia. Do you have anything to say about this? So, pick, and then the player gets to pick one. And yeah, so that's the game. So for people who want to understand how the police works, this is actually a super good game. And I think I've made my point that these are games that are simulation games that you actually could, you know, utilize to explain something to somebody else. And the thing is that they're motivated. Like players by default choose to spend their time on something 
And so that's the beauty of using video games as a platform for educating people. And so one of the things we're doing is actually designing games for lifelong learning. And our main principle is that a game has to be fun and engaging because most of the games I told you, they are already fun by default. They don't have, you know, you don't have to force people to play it. People spend hours and hours and days playing those games. And you have to design with player behavior in mind. So this is something that Dino, the Dino Club, the Mini Metro brothers actually did because they keep on iterating and using the community just so that, you know, Whenever a residential circle spawns, it spawns in an area in the city where there are actually a lot of residents. And so that's, all, that's one thing. And um, what we want to do is use simple mechanics with added twists. So we're actually making a game called Dugas, which is cheated on in... Tagalog, and it's interactive spaces across the Marcus regime, highlighting the effects of martial law, due to expose, oh my god, that's such a fancy word, with the current extrajudicial killings. So basically, if you, you guys know Where's Waldo? So it's Where's Waldo, but instead of people, like, um, you know, getting found and you're celebrating that it's Waldo, people either die, disappear, or, you know, you, you, I don't want to talk about it anymore. But, yeah. So, um, and the thing is that, so, it's an interactive hidden object game, which is in itself a really good a genre to begin with. Uh, it utilizes the Dunbar psychology theory, which is um, people could only have uh, meaningful relationships with 150 people. And that's why uh, one one death is a tragedy and a thousand is a statistics. So that's what we want to prove. And yeah, so the simple mechanic with the twist is where's Waldo, but people disappear and can never actually be found. So this is how it's going to look like. But yeah, this is going to be the final level. So I'm going to give the mic to Vin because life... No... How to mark by? Okay. No, it's not done. So, um, can I go down now? Oh no! What does that mean? Which which, which should I click? This one? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Cannot German. Um, so, we know that children learn best when they're playing and that these lessons aren't just useful in the classroom. Play equips children with critical survival skills uh, that they need to survive today's world. The thing is, is that when kids have fun learning, then the learning doesn't stop. And part of learning is teaching children to be good people, make good decisions, and to make those decisions themselves. We believe that video games have been doing that for generations, and the connection between video games and learning has been well documented over the years. 
Uh, it has been established, for example, that playing video games socially with others can boost a child's soft skills. These are the four C's, creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, and communication. Minecraft, for example, has been teaching uh, soft skills and putting it in practice over the last couple of years. My, my, my kids have been playing Minecraft forever. Um, in, the, in New York, there's a school called Quest to Learn. And we believe that they've captured the essence of the relationship between learning and video games uh, through their framework, which is basically, and to quote, uh, the designers of Quest to Learn develop an approach to learning that draws from what games do best. You drop kids into an inquiry-based complex problem space that are built to help players understand how they are doing, what they need to work on, and where to go next. Sounds like fun school to me. Um, so content is not treated as dry information, but as a living resource. And students are encouraged to interact with the larger world in ways that feel relevant, exciting, and empowering." End quote. So why video games for social good? Um, I grew up watching Sesame Street. And the best thing that Sesame Street did was it took education outside of the classroom. It made it ridiculously fun and engaging. They built amazing content around the show and they put it on an emerging platform then, which was television. The same could be said about learning, about technology, and about tech education technology and video games as uh, continuously evolving platforms for learning. Second is game design, empathy, and kindness. I cannot stress this enough. Uh, kids learn best when they play. The best way for kids to learn is not to focus on the subject matter of the things that they are learning, uh, but learn them accidentally or incidentally along the way. I used that trick on my kids a couple of times, and, and it fairly worked. Um, we believe that game design makes this possible. It makes it fun and engaging. They're just playing, and learning becomes a byproduct of play. Um, Players acquire real skills because of emergent systems that arise in the game despite not being consciously designed. Among them are empathy and kindness. So in, in a related uh, 2016 article on PBS, it was said, at, I quote, video games have become a popular medium to induce empathy because they place the user in a scene. According to game developer Ryan Green, when someone talks about a video game, they use the pronoun I. It gives you a platform to create immersion and engagement, a new level of empathy. So for the gamers, uh, familiar with the meta, these are the systems, hacks, skill sets that players create or develop to optimize the best results in a game. There are games with solved meta, which means that one best solution, you have one best solution for a given task. And there are games that have unsolved meta, which means that uh, there are multiple solutions that give similarly effective results. Meta for sufficiently complex games is emergent. It is not linear, and it's not in your face. This means that you can optimize it to help players learn real-world skills. So if a game is designed with a cooperation meta in mind, it can encourage empathy. 
And as seen from our previous examples, it's possible to develop a system that creates emergent rewards. So by optimizing the empathy and the behavior arising from those roles that you create, the players who always manage to find a way, who always manage to cheat, will be cheating the system by being empathetic. Um, third, strength in numbers. Um, so Gwen created uh, the game Dugas because we have a, a terrible history of martial law which is being repeated right now in Mindanao, the south part of the Philippines. Um, Ferdinand, Marcos, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., Ferdinand Marcos Jr. is the son of the, the late dictator, uh, Ferdinand Marcos. And he was able to get 14 million votes during the last elections. What we realized when we were talking was that during the People Power Revolution, when pro-Marcos allies were silenced, they worked their way to the next generation, their children. I've seen that firsthand because my cousins... I have a cousin who married into the, uh, a crony family and uh, the children who were not born during martial law were raving about the martial law years and were raving about how good it was when Ferdinand Marcos was president. So why did Gwen create Dugas? She wanted to create, uh, to encourage critical thinking and independent research. The people that you will find disappear. Gwen wants the players to find out why they disappeared why they passed away, uh, why they were tortured. Uh, Gwen's idea for Dugas is she did not want to spoon-feed information to the gamers because the gamers will always find a way. She also wants to fight revisionist history in a manner that's not engaging and that is not traditional. So 2.2 billion worldwide are exposed to games as the medium for entertainment. Uh, through video games, you get to reach billions in an instant. Let's review the numbers again. Democracy, Democracy 3 has around 1 million paid downloads. This War of Mine has around 5 million paid downloads. Mini Metro has around 1 million paid downloads. Paper Please, around 5 million. And this is the police, uh, around 1 million paid downloads as well. And because there is no monopoly in distribution of games, you can reach as many people as possible instantly. So, think about it. Half of the frequent game players say video games help them connect with friends. 68% of parents say video games are a positive part of their child's life. And 62% of parents whose, children's are game, whose children are gamers play computer video games with them. So, contrary to the stereotypical image of a video gamer, Locked alone in a dungeon somewhere, video games, it seems, are a medium that does not make us less social. Rather, they bind us together. And there are billions of gamers capable of doing good. Uh, so let me go back to what we do. Um, we are a social impact gaming studio. And we want to keep building games, but we were thinking that it would be fun to get all the games into a platform and measure what kids are learning while those kids are playing video games and other educational apps. 
So we are in the middle of building this platform. We just built the API. We did a little bit of tests, and we, we've, we've sort of proven that we can measure learning around the five learning domains. And the five learning domains are health and physical, cognitive, social, emotional, communication, and creativity. The thesis is you give us any video game, plug in the API, we can measure. So not only does the portal measure what uh, the kids are learning, but after assessing where the kid is at, it can also give recommendations. Well, she can also give recommendations. So if you see, the star is not symmetrical because some kids are better cognitive, some kids are better uh, uh, creative, etc. So what it does is if the child is challenged creativity, then, then it pushes other games to help in whole child development. Um, so we, we do what we do because we want to do our part in helping make video games as a force for good. Video games are not the enemy. Uh, I remember growing up thinking that uh, parents back then would say that, and, you know, stop playing video games because you're going to be stupid. That was also what they said about TV. Stop watching TV, you're going to be stupid. Stop listening to the radio, you're going to be stupid. It's just not true. Uh, and with that, we don't have any time left. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone for coming in. Uh, we'll be at the Makerspace One. Uh, you can reach us uh, at jumajam.com. And may the fourth be with you.